I don't know exactly how they've done this, but historians have figured out how to measure knowledge. So they take all of the knowledge of a particular moment in history, they combine it together to create one unit. The first unit of knowledge came from all of the information gathered about history up to year 1 AD. So everything humanity knew up to 1 AD is one knowledge unit. The first time knowledge doubled was in the 1500s. So it was 1500 years later that knowledge doubled. The next doubling of that human knowledge only took about 250 years and occurred around 1750. By the early 1900s, knowledge had doubled again, then again by 1945. So it's increasing all the time. Now, in our day, right now, and I think this is a couple of years old now, but knowledge is believed to be doubling every 12 months. And according to its current progressions, theorists believe that in the near future, human knowledge will double twice a day. Think of it like this. Soon enough, the earth will be growing in knowledge at the same rate every 12 hours as all of humanity, all of human history took in its first 4,000 odd years. We live in an age where knowledge is incredibly accessible. It's almost hard for us to fathom how accessible it is because we're so used to it now. Science is increasing in knowledge all the time. We're learning things about the cosmos, about humanity, about uh, neurology, and all of these things continually. We have no shortage of access to knowledge, yet when you look out at the world, it doesn't seem to be making us more loving or more connected. In fact, 2017 was a painful year for most of us as we looked on at the world in various countries, at the hatred, at the division, at the, uh, the extreme suffering that was going on in various countries. Knowledge doesn't seem to be helping us. So what do we do? What do we do when everything we learn isn't actually transforming us? And I think if you've been going to church for some time, if you're a Christian, uh, you'll know this probably as true as me, that you can sit in a church for 10 years and see people who have walked with God for a long time and never actually seen any transformation in their own heart. And you probably find that in areas of your own life. I do too. I'm not judging other people. I'm exactly the same. There are parts of me that I'm like, God, this has been there for a very long time and it hasn't changed, even though I've been walking with you you know, for well over a decade now. So what is the difference between learning things and transforming? How do we move from the place of growing just in information and understanding about things and knowing about God to the place of being with God, being transformed by Him in our inner core? And my answer to that question is revelation. And I want to tell you how. Revelation is different to information. Revelation comes through relationship and intimacy. When I um, met my now wife, Katie, and we were, I wanted to know whether to ask her to marry me, I didn't sit down with a ring binder get her medical history, her family history, all the statistics on her um, school exams and all of those kinds of things to determine whether I knew her or to predict her future. When I wanted to decide if Katie was the one for me, the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, which is a humongous decision, 
I got to know her and fell in love with her by being in her presence. I spent time with her. Because all of the information that she could write to me or other people could tell me about her if I was going to interview her family and friends, all of that would just be information until it was understood in the context of her temperament. And we all know that feeling when we get an email from somebody and it could be interpreted one of three different ways. It totally depends on the temperament. And I have i don't know if you've been on the sending end of that where you've sent off an email and someone's got offended at you, uh, whereas you were maybe joking or being sarcastic or maybe you actually said it with love and it sounded really harsh. Anyone with any wisdom these days knows not to post those things on Facebook or an email because they could be misunderstood by people who don't understand your temperament. Well, that's another good way of understanding revelation. If our sending an email to one another is, say, God's scripture to us or information or theology, revelation is our actually sitting down with God, spending time with Him, and allowing that information to be felt deep within our very core. The emphasis with revelation is about closeness and quality, not quantity. Jesus himself said the whole of the law and the prophets could be summarized like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm becoming more and more convicted that if you just took somebody who knew nothing about God or Israel and the history of the Hebrew Scriptures and the context of Jesus' day 2,000 years ago or the modern church, and you just gave them what, what they call a Shema, this first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that's all that they, they just memorized it and lived it. I'm convinced that that person would grow in, in maturity so much more than if we just absolutely threw all the books at them and made them learn. As, you know, maybe that's a provocative statement. Maybe it's pushing it a bit far. But my point is this. If you could summarize the whole history of God's engagement with humanity in one or two laws, then how worth is it, how worth our time is it to sit down with those two and to know them as well as we possibly can? And I think actually just knowing the first is enough because once you really know God's, once you know to love God, and you can only love God by receiving his love first, that's the beauty of it. If you want to love God You have to sit with him and feel his love for you. Once you feel God's love for you, the second commandment, loving your neighbor, is literally the overflow. It is impossible. I don't know if you've ever had a moment of beauty or majesty spiritually with the divine where you've encountered God and you've been filled to the brim. It is absolutely impossible to walk away from that moment and not deeply desire to share it. So the second commandment is is an overflow commandment in my view. So revelation is the ability to take quality quality time with God and allow it to seep deep into your soul. And the Desert Fathers um, did a lot of this. They would take meditation. They'd take contemplation. They would take just these few pieces of words and life and they would use them to open up doors into, into connection with God. But revelation can only come through relationship also. You couldn't send me, I couldn't marry Katie wholeheartedly with all of myself without meeting her. I needed to spend years going out for dinner with her. I needed to experience her under stress and and at good times. We needed to laugh about jokes and, and talk about our beliefs and our ideologies together and chew them out and actually talk to one another. 
She could have told me this is what I believed or I could have read it in a piece of paper. But without sitting down with her and exploring her and asking her why and coming to terms with it in relationship, I couldn't have fallen in love with her for all of the various reasons she believes those things and engages with those things. And that's what revelation is. And when we don't have revelation, we have knowledge. And when we have knowledge, we have separation. Because if if we only have knowledge, it becomes about what we know. And then people who don't know the same things as us or believe the same things as us become other, other in a negative way, other in a way that cannot be understood. It, it becomes about us teaching them our knowledge. But if you live a life of God, with spiritually of revelation, then your first port of call with God is relationship and spending time with Him. Your first port of call before understanding others will be relationship and spending time with them. How much of a beautiful answer to many of humanity's issues does that sound like? This is what poetry is for me, and one of the big reasons I started Commoners Communion with this line, ordinary people being the poetry of God. We looked at this in the first episode, Ephesians 2 says we are the poetry of God there is so much room in Christian spirituality to say we are works of art expressing ourselves as works of art into the world we looked at this ancient uh, philosophy of mimesis which is imitation imitating the divine out to the world in today's language in today's skin with today's breath so poetry is a beautiful way to doing that. And so I've been writing songs since I was a kid. And I remember because when I started listening to music, it was often the song writers like Bob Dylan and Cat Stevens and especially those old folk artists who told stories that taught me the most about music and life. And what I loved about it was the way it invited me into exploring a concept without telling me exactly what to do or how to do it. It wasn't so much prescriptive. And I wanted to read this quote by Eugene Peterson again, the same quote that we started with. Poets tell our eyes, sorry, poets tell us what our eyes, blurred with too much gawking, and our ears dull with too much chatter, miss around and within us. Poets use words to drag us into the depth of reality itself. They do it not by reporting on how life is, but by pushing and pulling us into the middle of it. Poetry grabs for the jugular. Far from being cosmetic language, it is intestinal, it is root language. Poetry doesn't so much tell us something we never knew as bring into recognition what is latent, forgotten, overlooked, or suppressed. Poets use words to drag us into the depth of reality itself. What I love about what Eugene is saying here is that poetry is not meant to be a prescriptive, functional, informational transaction. Poetry is made to invite you into a space. The songs that have moved me the most have been songs that have touched me on a deeper level, and I don't even quite know why. It's not just the lyrics, it's the temperament, it's the spirit of the song. If you have ever connected with the song, you know what I mean, and I doubt there is a single listener out there that hasn't connected with the song in some way. It's the breakup song, or the joyful song, or the worship song, or the, the angsty teenage song, whatever it is. These things reach us on a deeper level because they invite us into an experience. That's what revelation is. Being the poetry of God is inviting people into an experience of God. Revelation is about us experiencing and knowing God through Him, through experience, and then allowing others to experience God by experiencing us. 
We are this living poetry, this living artwork, and we don't have to be transactional all the time. It's okay just to sit with people and allow them to feel the empathy, the love and the compassion and the messiness of our life. Christian spirituality is not being all sewn up so much that anybody who meets us gets all the answers they need. It's that kind of spirituality that has kind of locked so many people out of understanding God. Christian spirituality is about embracing mystery. It's about embracing that we know that He's good, He's faithful, He's patient, and then we exemplify that through our own experience to the world around us. It's not cut and dry. And what's amazing about this is that it requires absolutely that every person who claims to know God experiences Him. Now, I'm not talking about highly emotional experiences. There are so many broad ways to understand that. That can be through serving others. It can be through receiving compassion and allowing kindness into your life. It can be waking up in the morning instead of saying, I'm a failure or I'm miserable or I'm not good enough. Allowing yourself to believe for one second, actually, God, you say that you're kind toward me and that you love me. I'm going to sit here. I want to experience that. I want to sit with that truth and allowing that truth to manifest itself in your life. I don't know how you experience God. Sometimes for me, it's just with my kids in a moment of joy and acknowledging that this was given to me by Him. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it is an ecstatic spiritual experience. But that's not my day-to-day life. So there's another element of revelation too, and that's prophecy. Now, prophecy is a loaded word, and for some of you that will conjure up a whole bunch of different things, but let me explain to you where I'm coming from with it. Last year I had a dream, and in the dream I was standing out in the cosmos, and I was looking up at the stars, and uh, I was like in some beautiful solar system, and there were just so many amazing colors and things around. And in, in the midst of this kind of awe that I was feeling... I saw this shooting star fly across the sky. And when I did, I heard a voice, the voice of God say to me, you see that shooting star, that comet? Everything following in that comet's trail, that train of light and debris, that is human history. That is prophecy. That is prediction. The comet itself, that source of light, the source of those things, that's Jesus. And I started to unpack it. So it was about six, eight months ago. And ever since, I still feel like I'm getting a revelation from it. But over the, over the following weeks as I prayed into it, this is what I, the main thing that I felt God say to me. Jesus is light. He is the eternally present one. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's the word of God. He was there at the beginning. Since God spoke and the Big Bang happened and creation started its process of planets forming and all of that kind of stuff, protons and neurons and gravitational forces acting on itself, heating up and cooling down. He was there. And we look at prophecy like the train of that comet. We think that prophecy is about predicting the future. We think that prophecy is saying this is what's going to happen. And that absolutely is an element of prophecy. It's predictive prophecy, but it's just one element of it. True prophecy or true revelation is describing the actual true light, the source 
of all of this other light that we experience in this life, which is so dim in comparison to the beauty and the wonder and the love of Jesus, the love of God. That's all just the train. And when we connect with Jesus, we are actually connecting with the source itself. And in many ways, we're connecting outside of our own time. We're connecting with the eternally present. Eternity starts today. And that's good theology. The kingdom, it's the kingdom here today, right now. In us, eternity has begun already. We have become everlasting. Not eternal because we were made, but everlasting because we will not die. So Jesus comes and so revelation is about taking that light, experiencing that light, and then sharing it with the world around us. And often prophecy, if we're going to use that word, can look like this. Something is going on in somebody's life and you can give them the Jesus context, the eternal context for why that's happening. Author Brian Zand in his book, Beauty Will Save the World, which I really loved, um, has a chapter called, I Am From the Future. And what he's saying is that when you encounter God, when you're born again into Him, when you're spiritually alive and renewed in Him, it's like we have been born into this future city where there is justice and compassion and love, where people forgive their enemies and pray for one another, where there's equality, where there's no more war or hatred. And he says, in a way, we are coming back from that future to bring that reality into our present. And that's what I see revelation and prophecy as being. We live a life where we say, God, this is what's going on in my world. I've embraced you in mystery and beauty and all of these things. But our walk is to be one of revelation. We are to be a people who hear from God and who share that with the world. And sometimes that will come in strict informational predictive stuff. Yes, absolutely. But that's not the primary purpose of Revelation. The primary purpose of Revelation is to experience God and to bring Him into the now context of the world around us. That means that we get dreams about people, that we see pictures, that we feel things. I had a friend once who, when they were in a supermarket, um, they would just feel love for somebody. That's Revelation. That's a revelatory gift. That is God saying to that person and giving them empathy to go and share love with that person. We are guys to live a life of revelation. There is no option in our spirituality. If God is alive and we are in God, and that's the truth, that's the promise, then that life must spill out of us into the world around us through his communicating to us. But it will only come when we sit and spend time with him. We are absolutely called to be the poetry of God, to live a life of beauty and mystery, and we are absolutely called to live a life of revelation. And Jesus exemplified that. He exemplified it when he told parables in the apocalyptic scripture. He used tons of story and metaphor and simile. All of these things can be understood on multi-dimensions. And that's what revelation is. It's not simple. It's not straight up and down. It's beautiful and it's messy. Um, I wanted to read you this quote from Thomas Merton and maybe kind of finish up with a thought after that. Art enables us to find ourselves and lose ourselves at the same time. The mind that responds to the intellectual and spiritual values that lie hidden in a poem, a painting, or a piece of music, discovers a spiritual vitality that lifts it above itself, takes it out of itself, and makes it present to itself on a level of being that it did not know it could ever achieve. What if we are those people? What if we live a vibrant, revelational, intimate faith and spirituality with God 
so much so that our life becomes like that painting or poem or piece of music that shows someone a depth of themselves, a depth of aliveness and beauty and wonder that they didn't know existed before. What if by allowing ourselves to live a life of beauty and mystery and revelation, we become conduits for awakening the Imago Day in the world around us? I think that's a beautiful ambition for our life and spirituality.